Open your Bibles, please, to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. I've been uh, taking some time in between a couple of different series to just address some things that perhaps need to be said and the Lord would have me to say. And uh, uh, after our missions emphasis time, I'm going to be uh, heading into Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is my plan. And We'll get back into uh, a Bible book kind of study. Uh, I have uh, I, I realized today uh, the other uh, real blessing about having Raul lead worship. Um, the one blessing is that he does a great job and uh, is younger than me, and so he brings uh, a different uh, perspective to the whole process. But the other thing is, uh, after a couple of years of not leading. Uh, I don't even think about it. You know, I can wander in here and talk to people and do whatever I please. And if he starts and I'm doing something else, it doesn't matter. And today I had to think. I had to uh, plan. I hate that. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm, 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 hoping for a, I'm hoping for a recurring spot on the worship team playing an instrument. You know, we're, we're getting all kinds of things going and... Uh, 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 Brother Ernest here has taken a week off today, too, uh, from playing the drums. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't play the drums that well. But I do play an instrument. I play the tuba. Oh. <laughs> so the next time you do mariachi worship, I'm your, I'm your man, brother. <laughs> or for those of you with a European heritage, uh, some umpa worship. Or perhaps some waltz, uh, not waltz, what's the word? Uh, polka. polka, that's it, polka worship, I'm your man. My, <laughs> my instrumental career began with the trumpet when I was uh, you know, in fifth grade, like uh, so many kids do. And then in junior high, my junior high band teacher said, you know, he had a zillion trumpets in the junior high band, and he said, we need a tuba player. He said, Dave, you know, trumpet players are a dime a dozen, but if you can play the tuba, you can get a scholarship anywhere, bud. <laughs> yes. Well, as the Lord would have it, I was a far better tuba player than I was a trumpet player, and uh, I enjoyed that all the way through college. My junior high band director made me feel needed and important and in fact, I was in terms of the band, and I was happy to take that unique position. I have news for you today. You are all needed in the Lord's work. And you don't have to play the tuba, but there is a place for you in the Lord's work. And more importantly, it's not that I need you in the Lord's work. And it's not that the church needs you. It's that God needs you. Follow as I read from Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. This is Jesus describing, uh, he uses the term the kingdom of heaven, and I, I understand there's perhaps a technical use of that, but there's also a broad use of the whole of the Christian life. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, is like, he's telling a story to get something across to us. It's like a man who traveled to a far country 
And before he traveled, he called his servants and he delivered his goods to them. Now you need to picture this, folks. Uh, they, they didn't really have banks per se in the day. A man owned, he had a house, he had, he, he had equipment, he had whatever he had. And the man says, I'm going to go to a far country. Now that's a recipe for losing your stuff in that day. But he had all these people who worked for him. They may have been slaves, as we think of slaves, or they may have been more like we think of employees. And he said, here is all my belongings. Think about that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever walked away and put your stuff completely in somebody else's hands? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was going to travel to a far country. He called his servants, he delivered his goods to them, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another, to each after his own ability, and then he went on a journey. The talent here doesn't mean talent like playing music. It means a quantity of money. We don't know exactly how much it is, but we know generally speaking that one talent was a lot of money, so five would have been a tremendous fortune. But he gave each one of them a, a, a large amount of, of goods, of money to do business with. Verse 16, Then he who had received the five talents went and traded, did business with them, and he made five talents. And the one who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground, and he hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've gained five more besides. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know that phrase that we talk about? We use this phrase when we talk about seeing the Lord. This is where it comes from. This is the passage of Scripture where we get the indication that the Lord someday is going to look at us, and if we've served him well, he'll say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He who also had received two came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two. Look, I've gained two more besides them. His Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over men or enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and he said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Now look, here you have what is yours. We'll come back to that. The thing that I want you to understand, first of all, is this. God has put his resources in your hands. God has put his resources in your hands. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he wasn't saying it just to tell some tale. There is a truth here. And we'll, we'll see that as we go through. But I want to just think with you what the resources are that God has put in your hand. First and foremost, God has put the resource of his word in your hands. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled to us himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their or holding against them their trespasses, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
the word of reconciliation. There is a sense in which you could say, what's this word about? It's about the way that we can get connected with God again. That's what it means to be reconciled. And God has committed it to us. Who here is in the process of learning to drive? Raise your hand. Be proud. Okay, everybody else take note of that. Stay off the road when they're out there. (laughs) Could we pause for a word of prayer? Now, let me help those of you who are learning to drive understand something. And those of you who may be about to learn to drive, or maybe you just have. Um, Your parents are overbearing, domineering, fearful, impatient, and worried about your driving. And you think it is completely irrational for them to be that way. I want to help you understand something today. They are concerned about letting you be in charge of something valuable under circumstances that could result in a huge loss. And you know what that is? It's you. It's not the car. It's you. Can you imagine how God must feel taking his word and saying, it's in your hands. God isn't here speaking. He has put his word in our hands. He's put it in my hands. He's put it in all of our hands. And he says, I'm going away. And, and, and the sense in, in which this is, comes to us is like this. Jesus Christ came here personally in the flesh. And he spoke God's word. But there came a time when that period was over. And he said, now I'm going to a far country. And I realize Jesus is everywhere. God the Father is everywhere. The Holy Spirit is everywhere. God is omnipresent. I understand that. But God has, has sort of localized his, his, his existence away from us in terms of the face-to-face. And he said, I'm going away, but I'm putting my word in your hands. God has also given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us, and the Holy Spirit does several things. First of all, he enables us to understand God's Word. There's no reason for us to say, well, the Bible's too hard to understand. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The only thing that's keeping you from understanding this is effort. God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That we might know the things that God has given us, or understand those things. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's Word. Secondly, He enables us to become godly. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the flesh, Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. As you learn God's Word and walk in His ways, the Holy Spirit will give you life and peace. He will make you godly. Number three, the Holy Spirit enables us to endure suffering. 
Romans 5 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He says it is possible to be hopeful in difficulties because the Holy Spirit is with us. Lastly, the Holy Spirit enables us to do God's work. This is such a blessing. We are not doing this on our own. 1 Corinthians 12 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works in all. We're having a ministry fair downstairs today. Um, Some of you... have already considered avoiding the ministry fair because you might get recruited into the ministry. God forbid. One of the things we have to remember, we have to remember, we have to be in the discipline of remembering, and maybe through prayer is one of the ways we remember it, God empowers us for ministry. As the, uh, uh, we had an elder meeting a couple of weeks ago, and it was the first time we had to talk about their experience of preaching this summer, and all of them said they were fearful to do it. Okay? Now, I think you probably perceived when they were up here that they were fairly comfortable, as I did, and I told them that. And you probably perceive that I'm comfortable here too. But that doesn't mean I approach this thinking, oh boy, another Sunday, pull one out of the back pocket, there we go. Quite the opposite. You may be fearful to do things in the Lord's work. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do them. That just means, oh yes, I'm doing the Lord's work. I should be fearful of doing it in my own power, but the Holy Spirit will help me. He will help us to do God's work. We are not alone. This is not something we do. It's something God does through us. He has given us the Word, and He's given us the Holy Spirit, and He's also given us the body of Christ. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting in verse 12. For as the body is one, and it has many members, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we've all been made to drink of one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, am I not of the body, is... Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? Or if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one, one, just like one, what would the body be? But now indeed there are many members yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, ra much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which, it, which lacks it, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. God has given us the body of Christ. We are all connected and we all work together to accomplish God's work. Kevin joked about saying, come and help in Awana. Even if you don't like to work with kids, we'll find a place for you. Okay? Um, there's room for all different kinds of people with all kinds of abilities as God has prepared us. It takes a body, it takes the body of Christ to make a disciple. I, I really do think we, we, we oversell the individual member of the body of Christ at times, and we think it's all up to me to do this, it's all up to you to do this. God wants us to work together. I, uh, I got a, a, an email yesterday from a kid who grew up this, on the street where we grew up. His name was Dan. And he lived a couple houses up from us, and he had a little brother, Davey, and a sister, Sherry. And uh, he emailed me, and he said, he said, I Googled you, and it was so great to find out you were in the ministry, and I've been in the ministry too. And I thought, wow, what a great story. Uh, so we emailed two or three times, we went to the same high school, but here's what was really fascinating to me that I had no clue about. My dad, I, this doesn't surprise me, my dad obviously went up and down the street inviting everybody to go to church and inviting all the kids to go to Sunday school. It used to be a real emphasis on just, just come around and grab all the kids you can and take them to Sunday school. And, uh, and so this kid went to Sunday school at the Grace Baptist Church in Marysville. And Anna Jensen led him to the Lord. Anna Jensen was also my Sunday school teacher. We might have even been in the same class at the same time. I'm not sure. The memory is a little fuzzy there. For those of us over 50, the memory gets that way a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, but here is a, a kid. My dad didn't lead him to the Lord. My dad got him to church. And he went to Anna Jensen's Sunday school class, and he got saved. Now, he went into high school, and he fell away from the Lord. But in college, he went over to Wazoo, and there was a college ministry that was strong and going, and he, he put it in terms of a revival going on there, and he got right with the Lord. And he left there and went to Bible college, and he became a pastor. And then he became a missionary in Guatemala, and now he's a missionary in Spain. You know what happened to his brother? His brother's been in and out of prison. He's a, a member of the Hell's Angel. His sister died in a house fire as a result of her cocaine addiction. 
The mom has just come to the Lord near the end of her life. She's in stage four cancer. God reached down and got a hold of one kid and saved him, and through him now, reaching others. Through junior Sunday school. Mike must be taking care of some kids. I saw him up there earlier. I was going to say, Mike, don't despair. Awana workers, don't despair. We look at the kids and, oh, they're kind of hard to deal with. And, oh, I'd rather be home in the easy chair watching America's Got Talent. (laughs) But God needs you. God did not save Dan without the body of Christ. And he's going to save some people here, but he's going to do it through the body of Christ. It takes the body to make a disciple. God has given us the body of Christ. And God has given us his perception. His perception. What do I mean? I mean this. Listen to the words of Jesus. When Jesus looked at the world around him, literally he was looking at crowds of people. He was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You know, as I've thought about this this weekend, I've been meditating on this scripture a little bit, and I went to a football game Friday night. And there's a whole group of people watching the football game, and there's a whole group of people not watching the football game. And they really looked like sheep without a shepherd. Now, there's a difference between being a wandering sheep and being just a wicked person. See, when Jesus looked at the world, he said, the people are are trying to figure out life. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are not smart. They just, they don't know what to do unless somebody tells them what to do. When you look at the world, you should, by God's grace and his word, have his perception to look out there and say, you know what? These people need the Lord. That would get their life in order. That would bring direction. It would bring restoration. It would bring renewal to their life. We know that when the world talks about death being natural, the natu- it's a natural part of life, we know that that doesn't bring comfort to them. Because we know it's not a natural part of life. We know that when they approach marriage and they are genuinely scared... I have a friend who said, I'm, I don't know how to make marriage work. And he's had several tries. He doesn't know. When they're scared, we know they should be. We know that when people are laid off and a production slowed down, that they are truly frantic because they have no resource other than themselves. And we know that the solution to all of mankind's problems starts with spiritual rebirth. We have the perception of Christ. It's a gift and it's a burden and it ought to result in ministry. God has given us his word. He's placed his Holy Spirit in us. He's placed us together in the body of Christ. He's given us perception and he's also given us one more thing and that's every good thing. And I know that's really a broad category, isn't it? But look at this. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the Father of lights. 
with whom is no variation or shadow of turning. What do you have that's a good thing in your life? You have a car, you have a house, a place to live, even if you don't own it. Maybe you have a retirement paycheck, you have medical care, you have some, some physical talent, you have some skill, some education. All of those things came from God. Those are all things that God said, here, I'm putting my belongings in your hands, and I am going to remove my personal presence off to heaven, and I want you to do my work for me. God has placed his belongings in our hands. There's a tendency on our part to think our stuff is our stuff, not God's stuff. Here's the testimony of a guy who thought that same thing. Uh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a vision of, of his whole kingdom being taken away from him. But, and, and the key was he needed to humble himself. But look what happened. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about in the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built the royal dwelling for my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwellings shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times or seven years shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. The New Testament puts it this way. What makes you different from another, and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as though you had not received it? Friends, we need to take seriously the fact that the stuff we have is God's stuff, and he wants us to use it for him. If you have the ability to, to play music, God wants you to use it for him. If you have the ability to, to think and to teach, God wants you to use it for him. If you have the ability to make things with your hand or lead people, whatever it is, it's from him. And that's why God expects you to conduct business for him. The same parallel, the same parable is given to us in Luke with a little different wording. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants and he delivered to them ten minas or ten bunches of money and he said, do business till I come. Um, sometimes we refer to this as the Lord's work. We're doing the Lord's work. Do business till I come. You know, a week ago, Sue and I were going to a place to visit some folks, and uh, we'd never been there before. It was down in, in uh, Mount Vernon, and so she got out her smartphone and found the address, and I punched the address in on the GPS, and we went right to the place. Sure enough. It was not, if you'd told me the address, and I thought, now let me think, I think I know where that is. If I'd have gone that way, I'd have driven around a bit. Maybe a good bit. <laughs> Mount Vernon's not that big. I would have got there eventually.
God gave us instruction about what the business is we're supposed to be doing. There's no need to wonder what it is. There's no need to sit around and go, let's dream up something for God. The church has been given a clear a clear uh, education, a clear instruction by God. And the first part of that is this. The church is to be a witness of God's reality. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. The Lord uses different, a, a series of words to talk about our ministry. I know when we, historically, when we've used the word witnessing, we often mean evangelizing or sharing the gospel. But at its root, the word witness means to tell what you know. Like a, a witness in a court of trial. I'm here to say what I know. And what God tells us right here in this particular command is, we are to witness to his reality. First of all, our lives are to demonstrate the impact of Christ. Sanctify or set apart, make God special in your hearts, and always be ready to give an, uh, an answer, a defense, to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is within you. I have a hard time remembering that what I'm supposed to be doing when I go to the store is that. I think when I go to the store, I'm there to get some stuff. Or if I'm going to get, you know, my hair cut, yes, somebody actually cuts my hair. Otherwise it would be long and lush and full <laughs> in my dreams. <laughs> Sorry, Jonah, didn't mean to mess you up there. Whatever we are doing, God wants us to live in such a way that people think, that's a good person. There's somebody I'd like to be a friend of. There's somebody, you know, that person is always happy, or they, you know, they've had hardship, but they've been enduring through it. There's something about that person that draws me in, that intrigues me, that, that is calling and, and, of course, we're supposed to be ready to give an answer, but the key thing is our life. Our life has to demonstrate the impact of Christ. Where, where you work, are you the person nobody wants to talk to or the person everybody wants to talk to? Our lives are to demonstrate the impact of Christ. Our unity as a body is to demonstrate the power of God. Jesus himself said this, I do not pray. He's, talking, he's praying to God, and he says, I do not pray just for my own disciples, the twelve, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one, that the world may believe that you sent me. You can know all the words to say, all the scriptures to quote, but if that's not true of our church, our witness will be ineffective. You want to witness for the Lord? You want to win people to the Lord? Work at unity. Ephesians 4 says, endeavor to keep the unity in the, of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
we have to work at that because when we act together and work together and do things together, the world looks at that and says, boy, that doesn't happen in my club. That doesn't happen in my organization. It doesn't happen where I work. It's common for people to be disunified, to be selfishly interested. It is uncommon for people to work together. Number three, in, in witnessing the reality of God, our love is to show the impact of Christ. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples. It's hard to put yourself down and put somebody else up. But God wants us to love others so that people will see his reality. God didn't save us for our sake alone. Sometimes we think salvation is about escaping hell and going to heaven. And yes, that is part of it. Sometimes we think it's about me getting help with my problems right now. And yes, that's part of it. But Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship created for good works. We are to be working together to witness the reality of God. Secondly, we are to be working to proclaim God's truth. Romans 10 says this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So if you turn that around, you'll get the chronological order. Somebody preaches. Somebody hears. Then they believe. Then they publicly confess or profess Christ. And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Those of you who knew my dad knew that he maybe wasn't always the easiest to get along with at times. But you know what Dan, my friend from Marysville, remembers about my dad? that his feet were beautiful because he brought him the gospel of peace. He brought him to the place where he could hear the truth and be saved. You want to have beautiful feet? You can get all the pedicures in the world, but your feet won't be beautiful. But if you carry the gospel, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The church is to proclaim God's truth. This is both a personal thing and it is a corporate thing. We as individuals need to be proclaiming God's truth. This week I had a wonderful first opportunity, the opening of an opportunity to share God's truth with some people I've been working with for several years. I see them on a regular basis. I've been hanging around. I've been trying to be Christ-like. And this week we got in a discussion that had something in common with them and with me and with God's truth. And I said, uh, that's why I believe this. 
and I'd love to bring you a book that would explain this whole thing for you. Yeah, I'd like to read that. I say, yes! Turned around to a Christian in behind his cubicle, and I said, yes! <laughs> Man, I don't know if the Lord is going to save them, but I know this is the beginning of a witness. And that's my job! And it's your job! I don't do all the ministry, I do my ministry. And certainly I've got to be proclaiming God's truth here, but it's your job too. When you go to work, you should be saying, God, how can I share this truth? And it takes thought and it takes preparation, but it can be done. But it's not just personal, it's also a corporate responsibility. I have to be preaching the gospel of Christ so that people can get saved. Our Awana club has to be enunciating the gospel of Christ so people can get saved. The Sunday school teachers have to be enunciating the gospel so that people can get saved. Just a couple of days ago, we heard a wonderful story here of somebody who attended our Awana club last year and was a major problem. And through our witness and the witness of family, that person got saved. And the family says their life is 180 degrees. That's the business we're supposed to be in. When you think about serving in Awana, don't think about a fun place for kids to socialize. Don't think about Sunday school as just kind of a warm-up for the church service. Don't think about the youth group as a fun place for kids to hang out. Yes, all of those should be true. But it's also got to be a place where we enunciate God's truth because that's how God's going to reach some people for himself. The church is to be a witness, it's to proclaim God's truth, and it's to have a passionate love for discipleship. A passionate love for discipleship. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This verse somehow communicates the burden and the passion that we ought to have for helping people come to be disciples and to live in a discipleship kind of life. I don't know where your level of burden is, but we ought to be burdened about it. One of the first crisis calls I, I responded to in, in Tukwila as a chaplain involved two boys who tried to walk across I-5, where it was ten lanes wide. And the speed limit was 60 miles an hour. And the time was about 4 in the morning when it was dark. And the boys were 14 and 16, and they were coming home from a drunken party. And they didn't want to walk a quarter mile up the road and go across the overpass. They thought, we're just going to go straight down this hill and straight over and straight back up the other hill. They were about 400 yards away from my house. And so they go down to the road, and one boy takes one step, and the other boy tries to bring him back, and it's too late. If you were standing there, there's those two boys. They're getting ready to walk across the freeway. 
and, uh, and, and all of a sudden you realize they're going to walk across the freeway. What would you say? More importantly, what would be the tone that you would talk to them in? You know, guys, it's really not a good idea. And they're drunk. And you're, you're, now boys, you know those cars are going really fast. You know, probably your reflexes aren't going to be that good. Probably, you know, and it's ten lanes wide. You might get across two or three lanes. Is that the way you're going to talk to them? Are you going to say, don't do it! What are you going to feel like in your heart when they do it? And that's just physical reality. Is there anything in your heart that, that wants to shout out to people, don't do it? More so wants to shout, please come to the Lord. Those who are not yet disciples are headed toward disaster both now and in the future. We need to be passionate about the Lord's work. Jesus said we need to take up our cross and deny ourselves. And we've got to do that. We've got to say no to ourselves and our own easy ways, and we've got to push ourselves for the Lord's work. Well, God has put his resources in our hands. He's, he expects us to do business, and God will inspect our use of his belongings. Um, from Luke 19, again from another account of this parable, another one came and said, Master, here's your, here's your belongings. I've put it away in a handkerchief, for I feared you because you're an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit. You reap what you did not sow. And, and the owner said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? The, the thing that I want you to understand here is this. Why did he call the servant wicked? Because he didn't try. He didn't castigate him for failure. As in, you know, I invested and I really did my best and nothing happened. In fact, I lost your money. That's not, he just didn't even try. He just said, I, I just don't want to, you know, I'm kind of scared about this thing. This guy's kind of a, kind of a tough guy to deal with. I'm just going to hide this. You can uh, hide. You can run from the Lord's work, but it's the Lord you're going to answer to. <laughs> I received a B on the last class that I just took in my master's degree program. I wanted to get an A, but I received exactly what I deserved because I did not prepare well enough for the final exam. I was in a hurry. I wanted to get it done. wanted to get on some other things. And as I'm taking the test, it's like, Nothing. I got a really lousy grade. I got full points on my big quarter-long project, which I gave a lot of effort to, 
But I got a lousy grade on test because I didn't give effort to it. God, I hope you can see in these parables that we looked at, God knows that some people can take five or ten and, and handle it and, and do things that on the outside look bigger. He knows some people, have, they can take two and, and do something with that. But at the end, God is happy with them all, except the one who goes, I'm, I'm scared of failure, so I'm not going to try. You know what the cool thing is about doing the Lord's work? He's in it. It's his word. It's his Holy Spirit. It's his body of Christ. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, you can't fail. Unless you're failing to follow God's plan, God is going to empower. God is going to empower what you do. A study just came out, or the results of a study this week that said King County is the best place to have a heart attack in the whole country. Is that encouraging? <laughs> the survival rate in King County is 52%. In some places, I think it was like 10 or 20%. And the reason for that, if you don't know, is that modern, uh, modern CPR and the modern paramedic movement really was born in Seattle. And there are some doctors there who have really developed and pushed. You might think by watching the TV show it was developed in Los Angeles, but it wasn't. You know, if you're really old and you watch that old paramedic TV show, but it was not developed there. Yeah. <laughs> Rampart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really old people are resonating with that. But, uh, but, you know, and there's this huge push there to teach everybody CPR and all this stuff. You know, and uh, a great movement. And, and so you've got a 52% chance of surviving. The average, uh, the average response time is 7.5 minutes. Um, that's really great. Our EMS Medic One system success is built on a constant drive to improve health outcomes for King County residents said Dr. David Fleming, Director and Health Officer of Public Health. We continue to raise the bar for patient survival from cardiac arrest, which is one of the most critical measures of success. Lazarus got a second chance to live. But what happened later? He went to meet the Lord anyway. And so are all of these 52%. We give so much effort to saving people's physical lives, and rightly so. But we have the opportunity to affect the eternal life of people around us, not just lengthen their physical life. That's what the ministry is about. Let's use the resources God has placed in our hands to positively impact the eternal destiny of people around us. Let's be about his business till he comes. Heavenly Father, help us. Oh, it's so hard to say no to ourselves and yes to you. Help us with that, Father. Help us with that today. Help us with that this week. Help us to put ourselves aside. Lord, we want to hear more stories like that of Dan. 
and that of this young lady from our Awana Club. We want to hear more stories like that. Be pleased to work in us and through us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.